0: You're listening to Star Wars Beyond the Films, the official expanded universe podcast of StarWarsReport.com. There is a great disturbance in the force. Welcome to episode number 52 of Star Wars Beyond the Films, your Star Wars discussion podcast. We broadcast on Middle Earth Network radio as well as on the Star Wars Report website, StarWarsReport.com. Our episodes are also available on our own Facebook page, at facebook.com slash SWBeyondFilms. But enough about how you got here, let's get the show itself started. I am, of course, one of your hosts, Nathan P. Butler, as always. With me, also, as always, my Star Wars companion with his little droid, the defender of the EU and apparently the upcoming Star Wars multiverse, if that happens, Mr. Mark Herleman. Hey, Mark.
1: Hey, hey. Yeah, I was uh, I was talking on the uh, Twitterverse the other night and I uh, was going on about multiverses and someone had said that champion of the multiverse. I'm like, ah, that's funny. I'm going to add that to it. Yeah. Oh, knock it off. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I was on another podcast uh, and a uh, good, good man, Jedi Jones, his podcast. And uh, we were discussing putting Whistler in the corner. And you know, last episode I was mentioning that my studio had flooded all that good stuff. And I rearranged things. Well, whistler has got a little platform and it's sitting in the corner of the studio and so, of course now he's in the corner and i've got this running joke and he doesn't find it funny but i do <laughs> what
0: is it what is it from the old for that movie you know nobody puts whistler in the corner as opposed to baby yeah, uh,
1: yeah Je- jedi jones had thrown that out there and I, I oh man i was dying that was so funny and so now every time i put him over in the corner go to your home i do a little happy go go to your home Get you-, you good for your home he's I, I I'm kind of becoming a, a I don't know is it a hate crime when you tease and mock your droid?
0: You're a whistler abuser, a droid abuser. You're you're like that little frog-looking general now on a uh, on Clone Wars. You just you just go after the mechs.
1: I'm uh, gonna paint you blue and call you R2. Ha ha ha
0: ha. Evil. Uh, you know, speaking of of people being put down into the dark holes and such, uh, it struck me actually as we were getting ready to record this. Uh, this episode is coming out. Just after the 10th anniversary of Star Wars Second Strike, which was my very first, actually the very first in general, a serious Star Wars fan-made audio drama to be released online. It was the first on the internet back on Christmas Day of 2002. Uh, I wrote it, huge cast of people involved with it. Uh, Chris Hanel edited that first act that launched it off on Christmas Day of 2002, and that was a very dark story. You said that, and I flashback to a scene in which one of our characters finds another character within a, a prison cell and whatnot. If you haven't checked that out, folks, you ought to go out and, and check it out. We even got a visual commentary edition for it, so you can listen to the audio drama, and as you listen to it on this MP4 file, you've got video that fades in and out with text, to tell you about the production of it and the the references and what's being made in it and all that kind of stuff, all the little nice. uh, tuckerisms and everything. It's I mean we're still very proud of it now. Ten years later, I, I cannot believe it's been ten years since that thing was put <laughs> together. I need to do another audio drama sometime soon, but I don't think my skills match up to those out there like Joe Harrison, you know, and those guys anymore. I'm like I'm I'm the novice. I love the podcasting stuff, but audio mixing, yeah, I'm, I'm nowhere nowhere near that that level. Out there, what a
1: though. Nice Christmas treat, though. I mean, you know, and, and, and it's easy to remember when you did it, too. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> on Christmas. Christmas. Well, it's the same
0: thing as, you know, right now. I'm in great shape right now because, you know, Jody and I, our anniversary of dating is April 11th, right? So 411, information. <laughs> easy. You know, once we get married, I've already had trouble with whether or not our marriage date's going to be on June 14th or 15th because we were trying to pick days and whatnot. And she gives me all kinds of crap because at one point I think I said 14th instead of 15th. So. Yeah. yeah. Uh, speaking, speaking of being in a deep dark hole, uh, I'm in the doghouse if that happens.
1: I, I have something similar because me and my wife—we were originally going to get married between our birthdays. We're two months apart, and so for two months, I have a little woman, you know. And so I always, I always tease her. And I wanted to be able to say that I married a younger woman and throw everyone off. Well, you guys aren't the same age, what? You know. And, nice. And then, of course, you know, we got pregnant with Taylor and she didn't – at last minute did not want to get pregnant in – or did not want to get married in a wedding dress while pregnant. And so, OK, we'll put it off. We'll do it after the fact. And then right before we had Taylor – uh, she had all this stuff with the medical and stuff coming back, and it was like, okay, if you don't get married right now, you're gonna have no insurance. And so we <laughs> rushed down to the, get a do the quick uh, courthouse wedding and all that, and bam, two mu- uh, weeks later, Taylor showed up. It was like, man, I to this day I still have a hard time remembering that date because it wasn't the day that we were going to do. For four years we had it planned, and then at the last minute she's like, I don't want to go forward with. I mean, she had a dress, everything was all set up for for the changes in the body, and then she was just like. Last minute, total flip of the script. I don't want to do it. And I was like, ah! So, you know, one of those weird things. But I only bring this up because we were just talking beforehand. You know, it was suggested that maybe we do an episode with our wives slash girlfriend, fiance, and what it's like to be in a relationship slash married to a compulsive Star Wars fan such as Nathan and myself. And so you may look forward to something like that in the future. We're kind of uh, hinting and, and trying to prod the women into saying yes (laughs) <laughs>
0: yeah. And it'll be interesting with, with with my side of things. She's the little woman in the sense that, yeah, I mean, she she is, well, depending on the, the time of year, nine or ten years younger than I am. So, I mean, she was born in 1989. She is someone whose life skipped the original release of any of the Star Wars films. You know, so she had to get into it in very different ways uh, as opposed to seeing them initially and in that whole big wave of stuff. She was born in the dark times uh, before the rise of the official continuity empire
1: well, that's any event, funny because, we kind of- well real quick because my sister just yesterday and she was very hesitant to admit it to me has not watched any star wars film all the way through and she would i mean she did not want to admit this she's like i don't even know how to tell you this and i'm just like i'm expecting something so not that you know i'm like what do my kids do <laughs> and she comes out with that i'm like really that's it i'm like i and I could see where she was coming from because that was totally not her cup of tea. That was her brother, the geek's cup of tea. And so she was staying away from that. But now I'm like, your kid's like totally getting into this. You might want to stop and give it a look, you know? Because when when my kids were younger, she would, you know, my, my son, when he was five, my nephew Logan was born. And so it was always, well, I don't want him playing with blasters and, and those swords around Logan. Well, now he's at the age where Logan, he grabs anything and it's a lightsaber. You know, it's like, man, this kid's going to be playing with Star Wars whether you want him to or not. You know? <laughs> it's just yeah. interesting.
0: I mean, we're, we're in the process right now of rewatching the Star Wars films because she didn't remember them particularly well having seen them before. She's much more into the Clone Wars at this point because we watch it together and all that stuff and she loves Yoda. Uh, it seems like most nice. women just love Yoda. Uh, wrinkled yeah. and green, apparently. All the things we
1: wonder you know? Yeah. Here at Star Wars Beyond the Films, we ask tough questions. you know, Questions that have bothered you for a long time or those simple ones that have perplexed you off or on or just right now at this moment. You ponder about Star Wars and said, we... This episode, we wrap up our looking back on 2012, the year in review with all the other great Star Wars items from games to television and beyond. Consider this your spoiler warning, boys, girls, fans of all ages, because here we go.
0: Yeah, the way I look at this is video games, non-video game games which, I guess, was it non-video games? So I need the double games in there. Uh, television. I guess you could just
1: classify it as games,
0: right? Yeah, just Well, yeah, but then we have to conclude the video games? I don't know. Uh, we have television, we have theaters, uh, of course, like, like in the actual theaters, and then we have sort of an other type of category here. Uh, to start with video games, we really didn't see much in the way of Star Wars video games this year. Not a lot of new releases. We got is to run them down before we talk about them here. We got The Old Republic, which is still around, but it didn't premiere this year. It just went free to play this year. The Clone Wars Adventures MMO, that is still around, albeit not something that, you know, gets a lot of the mainstream adult attention at this point. The KOTOR games were re-released as the KOTOR collection on PC, but those have been around for ages. We got Star Wars Angry Birds, which isn't, you know, a mainstream in-universe story. Really, the only mainstream in-universe story we got that wasn't an MMO this year was that highly divisive Kinect Star Wars that you either got separately for the Xbox 360 with Kinect or perhaps got the way that I got it with that limited edition Xbox 360 where the Xbox 360 itself is designed after R2-D2 with the sounds and everything and then has that special controller that's modeled after C-3PO. It was not... A banner year for Star Wars games by any means, at least when it came to video games.
1: I have yet to be able to take advantage of Tor's free to play to level fifty. Uh, the power supply on my desktop, the old Dino computer that you know you may have, may not have heard from Star Wars Report fame back when it was dying on me all the time. Uh, the power supply has gone dead, but I caught it before it went bad. You know, I thought I had a virus when I got that all taken care of and turned it back up. The fan was dead. So I, I've yet to be able to play it. I, I want to, I've been, I've been doing like what you've been doing with the YouTube stuff, watching the, as much of it as I can there to kind of get a feel for it. The books and stuff. I definitely have decided I got to find myself that tour encyclopedia. It sounds like the must have for those of you that can't get a hold of the game, uh, clone Wars adventures. That one, my son's played a little bit. Um, I recall, though, even with him, that he he got really angry at the fact that all the stuff he wanted to do was the stuff that cost money. And so he got bored of it and and stopped going to it. Uh The one that he has not been bored of, and he has killed my phone at least 10 times just by draining the battery playing, is Star Wars Angry Birds. Uh, he got – I finally broke down and got the Angry Birds as that was coming because I was like, okay, well, it's – I'm gonna get it for him because I knew it was Star Wars. It was Angry Birds, and I was avoiding the Angry Birds thing. And then I I knew it was coming, so I went ahead and got him it so he could start playing it. And man, as soon as he got the Star Wars one, he has just been on that thing like nobody's business. Uh, The Kotor collection, I recall, isn't that that was upgraded graphics too on that? I believe.
0: I honestly don't recall. Uh, I never, I didn't ever play it on PC, so I never got a chance to see the the comparison beyond, you know, just I could compare it to the Xbox, and I think it's a little bit better than the Xbox, but that's all I can say.
1: Mm. Well, and then the uh, connect. I have yet to get an Xbox 360. I had one for a very short window, but uh, it did not look like it was on the up and up, so I returned it. (laughs) I would like to have one of those really cool R2 ones. Now, you said that thing makes R2 sounds at you too. I didn't know that.
0: Yeah, when you plug in the uh, uh, when when you plug it in in the first place and actually power it up, it's got uh, uh, some R2D2 sounds, and it's got R2D2 sounds when you open up the uh, disc tray.
1: Nice. I wonder if you get, like, the red ding sound. It's
0: all <laughs> Well, you get the, um... Yeah, hopefully not. Hopefully I won't have it die. But it's got the, um... Even the light and everything. The light is blue to go along with the rest of it and stuff. I mean, it's... A, cool. the, the, the lights that go around it are blue. It's, it's really kind of a nice... Thing. I mean, I guess they do all kinds of different limited edition-looking Xbox 360s, but it's kind of a cool one. Plus, you know, I wanted to play Alan Wake, and I've been chomping at the bit to play that because I love the idea of a writer trapped in his own horror story and survival horror and all that. Uh, I would say of these to kind of shoot down the line. The Old Republic, I've played a little bit. Um, I played it when the level cap for free was still 15. I never got all the way up to 15. I just played around with it a little bit to get a feel for it. It's really not my cup of tea in terms of the type of game. I like the story aspects of it. I like the uh, the class storylines that I'm seeing when I go through and I watch them on YouTube. I like the universe and whatnot as we see with... I mean, I'm still flipping through the, the tour encyclopedia right now getting more information. I was just shocked to learn that one of the Imperial Agent companions is a freaking joiner with the Killicks. Uh, that boggles my what? mind to say that. Um, I and mean, I knew the Killicks were there on Alderaan at different points. I guess there's something that didn't get wiped out in that in, in that era, maybe a little uh, enclave of them, but to say that there's a there's Vector Hylus or however you pronounce his name, who was a joiner, was kind of shocking. Um, I mean, I love the concept, and I may try to play it a little bit more with it being free to play up to level 50, but you really need to go up to level 50 to see the entire storyline for these different classes. And it almost feels like there's too much there. I don't want to sink my life into that game, and I can see that happening very, very easily. But it's cool. You know, Now people can play it up to level 50. They get their money through the microtransactions and things like that. Uh, I don't think it's where they wanted to originally go with it. They wanted it to be more of a subscription service and stay that way as long as they could. But now that it's free to play, it'll certainly bring in some more players or bring back some players, perhaps, uh, so maybe it's a good business decision on that end. Uh, Clone Wars Adventures, did not really get into. Only time I've ever really paid that much attention to that. I played a little bit of the beta. When I was in the beta, though, not very much. And I went back and saw some of the stuff relating to that story they set up as a lead-in to Season 4 of the Clone Wars. But beyond that, haven't really been following it. Uh, KOTOR Collection, you know, whatever. I played them on the Xbox, so I really didn't pay that much attention to the PC release recently. Star Wars Angry Birds? I've really gotten into I'm having a lot of fun with that. I actually, it, it's, the, it's the peril of the fact that we're used to now through the Android Marketplace and through the iTunes or the Apple App Store, we're totally used to the idea of things costing like five bucks or less, as the case may be. Uh, it's why people are... are griping about the fact that the 3DS and the Vita, the two major handheld systems right now, still have games that are like $40 plus, saying, yeah, but I could get a game for less than that on my mobile device, even if they're not as substantial games in many cases. Um, but because of how low the cost was, I bought it on iOS for my iPad. I've also bought it one day while I was toying around with it, I bought it for my Android cell phone. So I bought that game twice and and still playing through it. I, I love the fact that they retooled it. So it's not just Angry Birds with a Star Wars finish. It's Angry Birds where the characters, what they do is Star Wars related, right? The Luke, you tap him, he spins with a blue lightsaber. Han, you tap him, he fires off his blaster three times. Chewbacca design is designed as sort of a battering ram. I mean, all the different characters, uh, Obi-Wan force pushes. All the different characters are designed around Star Wars. It's not just a gimmick, it's actually game mechanics. As for Connect Star Wars... I hate to say it, recently I've been really getting a hankering to play the Jedi Destiny mode again. Maybe play it alongside Jody so that we can play that split-screen version of it. I mean, it was not the best Star Wars game. It was not as good as people wanted it to be. But it was still a fun game, even if it was a little goofy. I find that Connect Star Wars is a thing that keeps drawing me back to my Xbox 360. I've got that, a couple of other small games, some downloadable games, um, like Halo Reach and that sort of thing, but... It's Kinect Star Wars that keeps bringing me back. That and another badly reviewed Kinect game that I like called Rise of Nightmares because I'm into the survival horror stuff. Uh, It was fun. It was unusual, weird, but fun. Definitely worth a try, worth a rent. I mean, right now you could probably find Kinect Star Wars in a bargain bin for like 5 bucks or 10 bucks. It's definitely worth that if you've got an Xbox and Kinect, even if it maybe wasn't worth buying for the full price out there or dropping the money on that limited edition bundle
1: or something. No other limited edition stuff, that's our uh, non-video games. We have things like the X-Wing Miniature games. We have Edge of Empire RPG. We've got the uh, Star Wars TCG and the Star Wars DICE app. Um, these are all things that I'm not that familiar with, so we're just going to let Nathan go ahead and tackle it. If I have any questions, I'll fire them off to him, and we'll buzz right through this part. Well,
0: okay. Uh, the X-Wing Miniatures game... From these are all actually all these are products from Fantasy Flight Games. We've talked about previously uh, the X-wing miniatures game. We got the starter set this year with one X-wing and two Tie Fighters, and we got Wave One's four ships: another X-wing, another Tie Fighter, though with different cards you can play as different characters, plus a Tie Advanced and a Y-wing. We also got the dice pack that comes with an extra set of all the dice that you need to play the game, so that you can either combine them together into a dice pool, or you can have both players play with their own set of dice. Uh, that game I really really like it. Takes a while to play. I actually did a whole bunch of unboxing videos that are on the same YouTube channel as my From the Star Wars library. It's just not on the same uh, playlist. So it's youtube.com slash user slash chronoradio. C-H-R-O-N-O-R-A-D-I-O. You can check that out. But I did the quick little breakdowns for each of them. Um, still haven't seen the boosters, the different individual ships available at Target, any of their main retail places. But I have seen them at game shops before. So at least they're getting out there. We have more ships coming that were due out actually in November, like uh, Slave 1, the A-Wing, the TIE Interceptor, and the Millennium Falcon, but those got pushed back into, I believe it was February, even though I've got them pre-ordered at this point. Fun game, just takes a while to actually play that one, because you got a lot of little bits and pieces. I actually have them all crammed into a big old tackle box now. Um, You need the space and the time and the patience to play through it, but once you get into it, it is a fun game. It's it, it feels more fast-paced than it really is when you look up at the clock and realize how much time has actually gone by.
1: Now, I'll okay, get real quick two questions for you. Question one, do you find that the price of these ships, uh, you know, I, I'm not exactly sure. I think you get a ship and a bunch of other stuff, but the ships themselves, do you find that the price for what you're getting is kind of high? And then the other one is, do you think that you could, once you get enough of the game, sub out, say, die-cast uh, Star Wars you know, ships and stuff that you may have? into the game and use the mechanics to play the game with those instead?
0: Uh, Well, from the standpoint of the miniature price, um, the miniature prices tend to be uh, $14.95 for a booster pack that has the one ship, plus all that you need to play with that ship, tokens and that sort of thing, plus cards. Because remember, this is not so much just about the miniatures, it's about the cards too. Like you may have an X-Wing out there, but that X-Wing itself... Represents not just the X-wing, but it represents its pilot who has special attributes. So you like, you have a card for Luke Skywalker that could be attached to that X-wing, or a card for Biggs Darklighter that could be attached to that ship. So you have to get like that and the other stuff for 14.95. It's actually decent enough. It's not great, but if you use the websites that I use to buy this stuff, like MiniatureMarket.com, you can get those for a little bit less than 10 bucks before you start paying shipping. So in that sense, the price actually isn't too bad. 10 bucks for one of those, I would say is somewhat reasonable. Plus, you can get the starter set that's 40 bucks retail for about 25, 26 bucks on a site like that or, or some of its competitors out there. I think the only thing that's not really entirely worth the price is the dice pack, because it's 8 bucks, uh, 5 bucks on one of those websites for what amounts to 3 more attack dice and 3 more, uh, evade dice when, you know, you can use the app that actually costs less than that. I'm actually curious to see the contents in detail of the ones that are coming up soon, because at least the Millennium Falcon, I think it's Millennium Falcon and Slave 1, but Millennium Falcon is an extra large one. It takes up more playing space. It's a bigger miniature and a bigger base. And that one is 30 bucks. That's $29.95 before any discounts on websites like Miniature Market has it down to about 20 So in that case, yeah, I'm curious if that really justifies a double price tag compared to any of the other miniatures out there. That's gonna be the one to keep an eye out for. Um, As for being able to use other die cast ones, honestly I don't think so. I mean I guess you sorta could. The thing about it though is when you move the different ships, you have these little maneuver templates, these little cardboard templates. Like say you're banking right at a speed of three, there's a template for banking right three and the base that you put the ship on, it's like a little plastic clear stand and the base not only holds a little card that tells you which character it is and some basic stats, it's got these little prongs on the front, and you stick the, the cardboard maneuver template into those prongs to represent on the front of the ship, and that's how you know where it starts. And then you keep the cardboard steady and then take the ship up and put it so that its back prongs are up against the other end of that maneuver template, and that's how you know you moved exactly right for that move. And maneuvering is a big part of the strategy of the game. You'd have to almost have... A way to take your diecast ship and maybe mount it on the top of one of those bases to be able to do it, and I'm not sure if they'd be able to stand up well enough. I would maybe have yeah, you could use the ships, but maybe use the ships like off to the side like say you've got an x- wing ship out on the battlefield that's one of the ones from the game, and then where you've got your x- wing cards and different things to represent it off on the like like off the playing field, like your Luke Skywalker card or whatever. maybe put the ship next to that as a way of kind of representing that they're connected together, but I probably wouldn't try to play it with the, uh, the die cast. I mean, you'd have to do some... You'd have to change the way that the maneuvers are handled, I guess. You could play with everything else, but the maneuver templates would be a little difficult to use for it.
1: Okay, In my third question, I think you can kind of see where I'm going with this. I, I'm a one-time collector of the die casts. Uh, If one was getting this for the ships alone, would it still be worth it? Because I did see that Millennium Falcon, and I was like, holy cow, I want that. And then I saw the $30 price, and I was like, Ah!
0: Uh, good news is that they are very authentic in their detail because they went back to the original models used for the classic trilogy. That's why this is the first time we've ever seen an X-Wing and TIE Fighter that are of the correct scale to each other, ever, in terms of Star Wars miniatures. But they're also lightweight plastic and somewhat flimsy. Like, I have to be really careful not to bend... The guns on the X Wing, and when my TIE, I think it was my TIE Advanced showed up, one of the wings was already broken off inside the container. I had to super glue it back on to make it look right. Uh, They're not sturdy materials. Uh, uh, It reminds me of, what was it? Transformers the movie? Uh, The, uh, I thought you were made of sterner stuff. (laughs) I mean, that's the way I was thinking when I got these.
1: Is Uh, it like like how the micro machines, because I, okay. The micro machines are more
0: sturdy than these are.
1: Oh. Wow. Yeah, I've been busting through all my stuff, and I found my little tin with all the old micro-machines with the battle-damaged uh X-Wings, and I found all those again, and and one of them had been sitting in, in a corner where it obviously got hot and cold, hot and cold, and the wing or the tip of the gun is just bent like a C, man, and I cannot get that thing to go back up.
0: Yeah these are ones where it wouldn't take extraordinary conditions in order to bend them. You have to be very careful with them. But again, they're not meant for playing like kids play with toys. They're meant to be on those stands and being used and maneuvered by moving them on the stands. Um you got to have a place a safe place to store them. Like like if I didn't have a tackle box in which I could put which I bought specifically for this where I could put like the X-wings in one slot the Tie Fighters in another slot and keep them separated from everything else that would bang around inside whatever I'm carrying it in. I'm I would probably just leave them put together and sitting on my shelves for fear that just wherever I put them away, they'd wind up getting damaged. It, they, they are not the most sturdy of of, of miniatures here. Nice uh, the, looking, just not sturdy.
1: The dangers and the problems that collectors face. You know that that's like I said in the last episode. You know when you open up a box and you see something that you love that you stored because you didn't have space for it. And because it sat in the box and temperatures or weight placement or what has caused something to either bend, get broke, or, you know, like, 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 you know, my, my Unleashed, I got Han Solo, his gun is just bends down. It's like, don't fire it, Han, don't fire it. You're going to have a Sharon Thrawn, a Theron-Shawn thing. Don't do it. Yeah. But Fantasy
0: Flight Games has put out quite a bit of stuff this year, quite a bit of quality stuff. I mean, they, yeah, those little flimsy, but nice miniatures. It's a great game. It's a fun game to play. And Star Wars really hasn't seen much like this. There was a little bit of the Starship Battle stuff that Wizards of the Coast did when they had their own miniatures. But this is a straight-up game designed for space combat. It wasn't something carrying over mechanics from something else. Um, They also, this year, put out the Edge of the Empire RPG beta version. It's the beta version of the first of three RPGs that are all Star Wars related that can interconnect that are being put out by Fantasy Flight Games. And what they did was they put out the beta book so you could start playing around with it, try playing around with it. The Order 66 podcast out there has done a great job of their coverage of this. They've actually recorded some live games so you can fe- get a feel for how it works. Um, not a lot of expanded universe material in it, but they, I mean, they were true to their word when it came to listening to people's feedback. As they listened to player feedback, they released 10 weekly updates as Adobe Acrobat files with changes and tweaks to the rules, new information to add to the rules to help out players, uh, and eventually they're using all of that that feedback to put together that beginner's game that actually comes out in the near future. I don't know if it's going to be out by the end of the year, but there will be an, a beginner's game, like a boxed beginner's game that's coming for like 30 bucks, I believe it is, and they have those, uh, those 10 PDS. They're now working that material into the beta book for when they finally release the starter set, uh, for the mainstream RPG that we're hoping is going to be out in 2013, but there's not really any any definite time frame given. They also put out that uh, Star Wars Dice app, which is just a nice app to be able to use as whatever dice you need for any of the other games that they've got uh, for their... Edge of the Empire RPG or for the X-Wing Miniatures game. What I'm really excited about, I still don't have it in my hands yet. It's not out yet unless you went to a couple of different conventions, but I got a pre-order in, and it's supposed to be hopefully hitting stores this week, so I should have it soon. It is the Star Wars The Card Game LCG they've got, this living card game, as they call it. We talked about this on the show before, that the first box you get has everything you need to start playing, and it's basically the entire first set of cards. Uh, And then, rather than buying booster packs, you buy these, they call them force packs. And each force pack costs you less than a starter set did, but it's got all the cards of the next wave of cards. You never will be buying booster packs, randomly getting cards, and hoping you get what you want. They will always be a pre-selected set of cards, and they'll always be the same no matter how many times you buy the same box. I just went through and looked through this uh, video that Fantasy Flight Games put up on YouTube that's essentially a tutorial of how to start playing the game. The concept is really cool. The, the, basically what you've got is a light side player and a dark side player playing against each other. The light side player is trying to wipe out three objectives that the Empire is trying to pull off, whereas the Empire player is trying to slow down the Rebel player, but essentially, as time moves on, uh, it's like Uh, turn-by-turn, it's a very fast-paced game, there's a Death Star counter, and the Death Star counter will continue rising up, and when that thing hits 12, and it changes under various circumstances, or just each time that the Dark Side player begins his turn, it goes up by 1. As soon as that hits 12, Dark Side player has 1. So there's different victory conditions depending on which side, which changes the way that you play the Empire versus the Rebellion, and your deck's... You don't have to randomly pick cards to make your decks or be like, okay, I want this card, this one card, this other one card. Instead, there are these what are called objective sets. You pick your objectives for your deck. And the objectives are what you use to generate resources, they'll let you have special abilities, and they're what if you manage to uh uh take one out, you know, it helps your your side in terms of its the balance of the force and all this kind of stuff. Um, but each objective card comes with it's either four or five cards that are with it called an objective set and when you pick that objective those cards are automatically inside your deck so rather than picking them one at a time you pick them like five or six at a time and you have your objective deck you have your other deck and you're drawing from them as you go it's really kind of a neat concept that makes the deck building aspect of it even more straightforward you know easier for those two for people to get into It, it seems like it's all designed around making the games faster and more fun instead of nitpicky in terms of the collecting or in terms of the deck building aspect. I know some people are going to be taken yeah. aback by that if they're longtime CCG players, but I love the idea and I'm super excited to get it. In fact, I've just pre ordered the first uh, uh, Desolation of Hoth Force Pack, uh, the first expansion that they're putting out in early 2013.
1: Well, it's an interesting way to go about it. I know I, I, the only thing I can, uh, you know, experience-wise I can relate to this is um, The Magic the Gathering when they redid that in the 90s you know and I, I played that first like up till they started doing the snow covered stuff that was when I kind of dropped out but uh, me and my best friend you know we would go in and it would sit down and, and build you know two or three four decks at a time and then sit down and, and play them and you know see which combinations of cards and stuff it would and it was fun but yeah it took a lot of time just building those decks, you know, in a lot of ways, it was almost like building a robot. You know, you'd build up this robot that you were hoping was going to defeat your your buddy's robot, and you hoped that the tricks you brought were going to work out, and then you'd unleash them and you'd see if it did or didn't. And you know, sometimes you'd play best two out of three, and it was a lot of fun. But I could see how having that the way it is would really set things and you know, make it smoother for you.
0: Yeah, and I'm a big fan of the digital card games. I I wish they would do a digital version of this. I'm I'm a big fan of Shadow Era, which is a digital game, though they do have physical cards out now. I'm a big fan of uh, stuff like the Magic 2013 or Magic Duels of the Planewalkers games that are out there where you can do the digital magic stuff. Where, yeah, you're spending money, but it's to unlock decks and that sort of thing, perhaps, that you want. I just got the Uncharted Fight for Fortune digital game on the PS Vita. I've got the PSP Eye of Judgment that is all digital. I've got the, I've got that, that ungodly difficult to use, depending on the lighting in your apartment, um, Eye of Judgment PS3 game where you take the PS3 Eye and it points down at the table and you have these cards that as you play them, it reads the symbols on them and they digitally appear in the game to fight each other. I mean, I love digital card games. Uh, I wish that we would see something like that with this because I got a feeling a lot of my play will be against myself or against Jody. There's just not many people around here that I know to play against on this game. I wish there was a way to have, you know, a CPU to play against, but
1: alas, apparently not. That, that's what's kept me from playing Magic, man. I can only play it when my buddy comes down from uh, Seattle because, I mean, yeah, I could go down to the comic book store, but I go down there, I'm going up against some cutthroat guys that have been playing and have been buying all them cards. I mean, I'm still playing with Generation 2, and so unless my friend comes down from Seattle, I'm not playing with anybody. My kids, they don't quite understand the game. They don't have any interest. My wife's like, no, not my cup of tea. <laughs>
0: yeah, I mean, you just want to play for fun. I mean, it's the same reason I don't play online multiplayer much on video games because... I don't like to play with people who are either, uh, super cutthroat and not in it to have fun, but in it to kill, or the, you know, people out there acting like they're, uh, bigoted three-year-olds, basically. Uh, speaking of children, how, how's that for a bad segue? Woo! Um, one of the things that, of course, is more targeted at children now than most other Star Wars media is the Clone Wars. So that brings us into television. This year, we had basically, uh, three sort of two, sort of three, different things in terms of Star Wars television. We had The Clone Wars Season 4. This year saw the episodes escape from Kadavo all the way through the end of the season for revenge. We also saw Darth Maul Returns, the final four episodes re-edited and spliced together and released on DVD as a Target exclusive. We saw Season 4 then released on DVD and Blu-ray. And now we're in the midst of Clone Wars Season 5, with the episodes Revival Up Through a Sunny Day in the Void, which just recently aired. And then also on Cartoon Network, we had the weird one-off that a lot of people didn't even realize was going to be airing, Lego Star Wars The Empire Strikes Out, which so far does not have a home video release, and some have said that maybe it's because the home video release of the previous one, The Padawan Menace, seemed like it didn't sell so well for the place it was exclusive for. I think it was Walmart. So couldn't this find one, it
1: at my Walmart. I have a Super Walmart and couldn't even find it. I'm like, are you kidding me? I'm I had to order so mine online.
0: I didn't see any of them in the stores. I had to order mine online for it. I did the same thing. I didn't see a Darth Maul returns at my local Target. I had to order that one online. So I mean, you, yeah, but you my, my
1: Walmart's a Super Walmart. I no, mean, that's, I, I, that's the word Super to me should have that stuff. I mean, I go down there and I go through the toy section and nothing changes. They changed the layout of where they put it. They moved it over an aisle. They they rearranged where they put the lightsabers compared to the action figures. But the figures on the wall, nothing new is hitting the shelves. What are we seeing? They're, they're, they're throwing discounts on big packages to move them all because they're holding on to the same 25. Oh, it just drives me nuts. I think our Super Walmarts are racist.
0: I really do. Uh, we have what's what what's like, my students refer to as the ghetto Walmart. It's a super Walmart in Union City, Georgia, and it replaced the previous rundown Walmart that was literally across the street from it uh, years ago. And that Walmart, you can get pretty much anything you want. But you go into the toy aisle looking at Star Wars stuff. Exactly what you're saying. Same stuff all the time. Same thing pretty much. If you go to the uh, Target in Peachtree City, Georgia, which is like the other direction from me, uh, almost the same distance, just a little bit longer. It's where I usually do the grocery shopping and such. And over there. There's a Super Walmart, a little bit further from me, and that one you see great Star Wars toys constantly. Granted, I don't go in the toy aisle that often, and I don't go to that Super Walmart that often. But every time I'm in there, it's something new, it's something cool that's in there on the Star Wars shelves. And you know what? The Walmart in Union City is mostly African American, Hispanic American, mostly older people coming in there to buy instead of young kids. Peachtree City, very wealthy, somewhat affluent, white population, um, lots of young kids. And it seems as though there is a shift going on. I don't know if it's ageism, racism, or if they're simply saying, well, it just doesn't sell in the one, and it sells at the other. But there's just this sheer, I mean, its not it's not even an across-the-board Walmart thing. You know what I'm saying? It's picking and choosing. You might have a Walmart that's great for Star Wars toys, or Star Wars games, or Star Wars DVDs, you might have one that is completely awful. And I've now got both, one on either side of me.
1: Mine, mine dried up on the vine. It used to be every week they'd have new stuff. You could guarantee that the boxes were going to be opening, and in those boxes there might be one or two of the really kick-butt ones that, that would hit the shelf that week. And you had Star Wars books on the shelves. You had Insider on the on the magazine racks. Now, not one Star Wars book. Unless it's like the Lego kids book in the kids book section. That's it. No more Star Wars Insider. I'm like, what in the heck? It, it has been drying up. And it, it is really irritating me because it's not like my desire has dried up. I went down there every day when Kruk and Jason and Jaina Solo were down there. Couldn't find him. Darth Malgus, couldn't find him. I just get so frustrated in that. it. I, I guess I just need to start shopping online, but I just, uh, I just don't like doing it. I always feel like I'm putting myself at risk.
0: Yeah, or especially when it comes to things where if you're a collector of, I mean, I, on just about anything, you know, the, the condition that it might show up in. We were talking before in a previous episode about how my copies of Insider and the Clone Wars magazine almost always show up beaten up. Nowadays, if I order a DVD set from Amazon, I can bet the edges are going to be banged up, and if it's a Blu-ray multi-disc, I'm about nine, you know. Nine times out of ten, it'll be fine. The other time, it'll have some of the prongs broken on the inside of the Blu-ray case. It, yeah, I, I'm starting to see that same kind of, uh, of thing happening. Although, I will say, though, uh, as by way of disclaimer, no, I didn't mean, honestly, that I think Walmart is racist. I just think it's odd that the majority African-American Walmart and the majority white Walmart, when it comes to clientele, have very different approaches to Star Wars. But I think it's actually approaches to toys in general, honestly. Um,
1: speaking of television, though,
0: uh, did you see Lego Star Wars The Empire Strikes Out? I thought it was funny, but not nearly Padawan Menace.
1: This is literally the first time I even heard about it. I'm like, whoa, what?
0: Well, the good news is you can find the entire thing right now on YouTube unless somebody has taken it down. Somebody has taken it upon themselves to put it up there. Uh, Though this is not an official endorsement of watching bootlegs on YouTube. It is an endorsement of watching from the Star Wars Library on YouTube, however. Uh, See? See how I did that? Uh, Ah. What do you think of... The Clone Wars for this year, we get the back half of last season and the first half of this season. I think Clone Wars is probably the strongest that it has has ever been, and we got some really great stories. The only thing that bothers me about Clone Wars is they moved the episode Revival so they can make it the season premiere, and it's causing continuity issues with where it fits in with other episodes that are leading up to some of the stuff we saw in it. Otherwise, I think Clone Wars is at the top of its game.
1: Yeah, that that little. Revival fiasco is kind of weird. Um, I guess I guess I'll start with asking a question because this was something I was going to ask you before the show and I forgot. I was kind of thinking maybe next year we should tackle the Clone Wars season by season and kind of do a a a review like we're doing right now. Hit up the episodes, do a quick bam bam, why we liked it, what we didn't. Um, what do you think about something like that? That would be
0: cool. I go, you know, I'm with Republic Forces all the time where we're talking about episodes individually. And then sort of our, our year in review at the end of the years would be interesting to, to bring it in here because we'd have more of an EU focus. Except for Jonathan, I'm usually the only big EU fan on the calls uh, for Republic Forces Radio Network. So, yeah. I mean, that that would be interesting. I, but I mean, have you been watching? I mean, I
1: have just recently got caught up. Uh, my roommate has never really watched him before. And when I was telling him about it, he went out and bought him. <laughs> He's like, well, we better start. And so, you know, we got caught up. Uh, then he he went out and got on iTunes the season five stuff. So we were able to get caught up on that. And, you know, we I, we jumped into season five. He was really worried about it messing up him watching the first season. And then I explained to him how first season was. I'm like, go and look up the timeline of this. And he looks it up and he's like, wait a minute. There are episodes from season two and season three that take place before the first episode. What in the heck is going on? And you know, then we're watching the stuff with episode in season five. And I was like, we watched revival and I'm like, I think this takes place after the other stuff. And he's like, you know, he's a, He's a huge Firefly friend and, and, and of that kind of stuff. And so he's like, is this just like Firefly where, where somebody decided it would be better seen this way? And they're screwing it up and everybody's not going to understand. They're going to hate it. And, and you know, so we get into this whole discussion about, you know, well, obviously they're, they're doing a Quentin Tarantino thing, you know, because <laughs> I don't know why they keep screwing it up and throwing everything out of order because it sure as heck is not impressing the hell out of me. Yeah, the episode order
0: thing was really crazy. I think it was more a matter of just what stories they could tell because of the assets that they had, like how many characters they created, how many backgrounds can they create in a certain amount of time. I was very impressed when they got to the point that they said, from here on, after the time jump, where all of a sudden all of our characters look a little different and Ahsoka is a year or two older, now it'll all be aired chronologically. And then they changed that. When they took Revival and said, well, it'd be cooler to start off with that one as a season opener instead of the arc that was taking place on Onderon, so we're going to take this episode and put it in front. Never mind the fact that in the episode, they meet Hondo, and Hondo refers to Grievous coming in and pretty much wiping out his base and doing a lot of damage to it, and how, you know, he's kind of grumbly about the idea of helping the Jedi again. Uh, Never mind the fact that in the Onderon arc, he's happy to work with them and sell them weapons, and his base looks fine, and we actually see the damage done in the arc with the young Jedi. uh, Yeah, it makes no chronological sense. Heck, uh, spoiler alert, if you haven't seen the first episode that was aired of Season 5, Adi Gallia gets killed in Revival and then appears on the Jedi Council the very next episode, or the very next arc. It doesn't make sense what they've done with it. I'm betting chronologically they're just going to say that Revival goes back to where it was, but it means that they're no longer airing entirely in chronological order. Great stuff, though. I I would say the Blu-ray set this time, especially is really good. Instead of having the little featurette uh like behind the scenes things, and sometimes those have been really good. Uh that you know, except for I got my quibbles, you know, you got the one where they're talking about the origin of the Night Sisters on the season three Blu-ray that never mentions Dave Wolverton at all, which I think was crap. Um it almost makes it sound like Katie Lucas was the one who created them. And then you've got uh that one Ugh still grates on my soul when I think <laughs> about it. The Mortis, the Secrets of Mortis documentary that basically says <laughs> Yeah, uh, Lucas doesn't want us to tell you about it, so we're not gonna. Screw you, pal. Uh, that that shouldn't have been on there. That was a big bait-and-switch and middle finger um, to those who actually wanted to see more about it. Um, but this Blu-ray set, they've done visual commentaries or whatever you want to call it. It's basically, uh, they take an entire story arc, like the one on Mon Calamari or the Darth Maul one or whatever. They condense it down so you're not seeing the whole thing, but it's like playing down in the corner... And the main part of the screen is Dave Filoni and other people, sometimes voice actors like Sam Witwer, sometimes people like Henry Gilroy, are sitting there with them. Uh, and they're watching it and commenting on the process and joking around about it, just like, you know, sitting around, palling around while watching the film. I think they did something similar with the Clone Wars movie Blu-ray. Uh, I'm very impressed with the Blu-ray releases of these, and I really hope that someday when we do wind up getting a, you know, a super Blu-ray set of the entire series, because you know it's going to happen. That they load it up with enough extras to justify purchasing the Blu-ray again. Because the Blu-rays are awesome. You know, but I want if they're gonna do that, I want a reason to do it other than, hey, they're all just in a new box. You know, do something cool with it. Like when they re-released the Star Wars DVDs of the original three films, they got that extra bonus disc that had the original original trilogy, right? Original, original as a bonus because if it was released by itself, he had to pay some residuals back to his ex-wife.
1: How about uh about as a I bonus recall being. with we the get the Gendi series all on a disc. You yeah, know? <laughs> something
0: like that. You know, something where they give us something so, something special to go yeah. along with
1: it. You know, my real quick comment on season five with the uh with the young Jedi arc, a question I have for you. The lightsaber uh technician, the droid that that helps build the lightsabers, yeah, Dr. Did Who. he Yeah, did he look like a Sith to you? Like he was modeled after the Sith species? Because that when I saw his face bit, and his yeah. head. That's I kept like um, that just dawned on me immediately. I'm like, man, am I the only one seeing this? This yeah. guy is off. He's a Sith.
0: Like, like his lower face like really reminded me of Sith, and I remember thinking, what? But then I was immediately caught up in the whole fact that you know it's David Tennant, it's the tenth Doctor Who, playing the role, and then I was able to geek out because you wind up with that. Uh, they do those featurettes on Star every Sunday to go with that Saturday's episode, and one of the recent ones was Dave Filoni geeking out about how he was able to get you know, David Tennant to be it. Uh, David <laughs> Tennant's one of my favorite actors at this time, especially, I mean, he did an amazing job playing Hamlet, my favorite play of all time. Love Hamlet. All kinds of video versions of Hamlet are sitting on my DVD shelves. Um, his take on it was great, and it was really cool to see him cross over into Star Wars. Now I want to see Matt Smith do it. Have Matt Smith move over and do some Star Wars voices. It's, you know, it's, it'd be an interesting thing. Speaking of um, Star Wars and video and live action films, right? Having mentioned the live-action DVDs a moment ago, this was also the year that we saw the beginning of Star Wars in 3D, or at least in 3D as films. We've had Star Wars 3D comics before from Blackthorn Publishing, but now we've got Star Wars in 3D in theaters, starting with The Phantom Menace, with next year us having sort of the quasi-back-to-back Attack of the Clones or Revenge of the Sith. We talked about this a bit previously, although I can't often remember off the top, I can't remember off the top of my head if it was here or if it was on Star Wars Report, but I know we've talked about it. Um, What about now that the year is ending and we know what's coming up for the next two in 3D, what are your impressions at this point of the Star Wars live-action 3D films?
1: Well, I I would say I know what I'm going to do with the next two films. I I originally said I'm going to watch the first one, and based off of that, whether or not I'm going to continue to watch it. Because A, I'm getting to watch Star Wars with my kids for the, their first time watching it on the big screen. So that in and of itself is an event. Uh, but we went and saw it in the DVD or the the blue. No, not blue. We went and saw it in 3D. And I want to say, I, I can't think of the name of the version we saw, but it wasn't real D. And I am definitely watching the next two in real D because the, the generic 3D that we watched it in in my local town Sucked. It sucked so bad. I I was almost falling asleep in the movie because there was nothing 3D was happening. It it just it it really ruined the experience. The only saving grace was the fact that it was still Star Wars. It was still on the big screen, and my kids still had fun. Uh, so the next two, I'm gonna definitely see them real D. And uh, hopefully, you know, I'm going to get the effect that should have happened the first time. But by the time I went and saw it, I was a little late getting the money saved up. So it only had a couple more weeks while it was still in theater. And by the time I was like, okay, I got to go see it in real D. There was no way I could come up with 20 something each, you know, to get over there and see it. So I'm definitely going to save up. I'm really looking forward to uh, episode three of all of them in 3D. I think that'll be really cool. But again, real D is where it's at. That's the the black Buddy Holly style thick glasses with the clear glass. Not that that whole uh, sunshade looking blue, red, uh fogged over Prisma type junk that is the three D ones that hurt, don't fit on your face, right? Oh, I just can't stand it.
0: You see, the thing for me with the three D thing, and I was hoping, I was crossing my fingers that please, 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 once you put these out in three D. I mean, yeah, I know it'll mean me probably buying them, then rebuying them, then rebuying them. Please put The Phantom Menace 3D out on 3D Blu-ray before the year is over. And they haven't. So the thing for me with the, the 3D films was that I was hoping, you know, please, please, please give us The Phantom Menace 3D on 3D Blu-ray by the end of the year. I was hoping this would be a fast turnaround, you know, to just make some money. Kind of like they do with The Clone Wars at this point. They turn them around very quickly. But no, we didn't get it. I much prefer watching 3D films on my... Uh, Sony PlayStation branded 3D television here at home. I mean, it's not a big screen, but it's home. I get my own food. I can sit in my own room. <laughs> I can do other stuff at the same time. Uh, and I don't have to deal with idiots at the movie theater. So I yeah, can I'm have gonna... my
1: phone out while I'm watching it. Screw you, opening commercial. Well, hey. <laughs> uh,
0: apparently, people around here don't tend to put them away anyway. Uh, <laughs> suffice to say, uh, I liked. Seeing the 3D effect, I hope the other ones turn out better from the 3D effect standpoint. I definitely want to see Episode Three. It's my favorite of the Star Wars films, and uh, again, because of the Stover effect with the novel and all, giving me extra depth that others might not see. Um, I want to see that in 3D, and I think that's going to be really, really cool. Hopefully, maybe after next year's release of those is done, late in the year, maybe early in 2014, we'll get maybe a prequel trilogy set on Blu-ray 3D and not have to wait until all six of them are out.
1: Well, you know, speaking of all six, I think for me, I, I, I'm i kind of sad in the aspect of, you know, and it's part of our other here. Maybe we may jump to that one sooner. The fact that Lucasfilm was sold to Disney, and when the original trilogy hits 3D, the chance that George may go back and tweak it some more is pretty much dead. Like, I don't see George ever tweaking any Star Wars film again. And I, I honestly this time I kind of wanted it. I, I think when the Blu-ray came out and they added the no and all the other weird ones that had me scratching my head, I was left with a sense of why didn't they go back and add to the space battles? Why didn't they go back and add an old dude in a Brown robe with a young dude in a Vader costume and add some scenes to a couple lightsaber fights to jazz them up a bit, maybe add a, a stunt double that looks like Luke in all black and Return of the Jedi, where they're fighting inside the Emperor's throne room, you know? They could have added some of the stuff like like what Adiwan has done to Star Wars Revisited, you know? That, to me, I think is the one bummer about when the original trilogy goes to 3D that we won't see George's tinkering. Oh my gosh, did I say that out loud?
0: That's insane. No, I mean, I... If there would have been any more tinkering in 3D, I almost wish it's tinkering backwards to remove things. Like, remove the rocks in front of R2-D2 that disappear when he faces the other direction, you know, in A New Hope. Although that certainly, hey, look, it'll make a cool 3D effect. Oh, my God, I wonder if that's why they put those rocks there. Don't you think? It's hiding behind the rocks. The rocks are new on the Blu-ray. Now it gives 3D depth to R2 standing there. I think we figured out why they added that idiocy.
1: We've added depth. It's like a river. (laughs)
0: If you want to add depth, you need to change some of Hayden Christensen's lines. Zing! Um, anyway, uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see these in the future in 3D. I actually am hoping they don't tweak it too much. I mean, we don't need more subdivisions of G-level canon to say, well, this version of the movie trumps this version, which trumps this version, which trumps this version. Let's just, you know, leave it as it is. Because most of the time when Lucas has tweaked it recently, his tweaks have been questionable at best. So let's leave it for now. Next thing we're going to see is that, you know, the mouse droids are all running around with Mickey Mouse ears on them <laughs> as a emotional tool here.
1: <laughs> that would actually be funny. I mean, you know, when you mention things like the fact that you go in and you're going to remove the blue that you forgot to take out of the escape pod in A New Hope, and you do that on every scene but one still on the Blu-ray. What the?
0: Well, that's that's like me, you know, I mean, and some of the fixes are fixes to things that went wrong when it shouldn't have gone wrong. I mean, uh, we had the, I've got tons of VHS versions of the films. I've got VCD versions of the films. I've got the special edition versions of the films on VHS and such. And you know what? In none of those versions, was there any question that Luke's lightsaber in A New Hope was blue? Until the DVD. And then it looked washed out, kind of green. Now, they fixed it for the Blu-ray. And that's wonderful, and I celebrated it. Yes, it's finally blue, but it should never have not been in the first place. You know what I mean? Uh, There's only so much that the tweaking can be done until it finally causes more problems than it helps and causes you to then have to go back and fix those problems. Hopefully, they're done with the tinkering at this point. Although, you know, uh, with Lucas, I'd say never say never. He could certainly be brought back on as like a creative consultant editor and then start making more changes. If he really is leaving Star Wars or, or stepping away, then, you know, hopefully that is for the best. we're rounding out here, of course, this year. Also, uh, some sad news. We saw the deaths of several people relating to Star Wars. Uh, Winston Reckert, Bob Anderson, Ian Abercrombie, Ralph McQuarrie, uh, all passed away throughout 2012. And I guess there is the bright side that we had. Celebration 6, I didn't get to attend, but... We had Celebration 6 out there for a lot of uh, new Star Wars news and and to bring people together. And then, of course, there's that that aforementioned sort of a middle ground where we're not quite sure what to make of it yet of the whole issue with Lucasfilm and Disney with the upcoming Episode 7, which may or may not wind up having grave ramifications on the post-Return of the Jedi Star Wars Expanded Universe. Uh, That's more, I guess, of a looking ahead thing for an upcoming episode. But... I think that the that other category for me, it's sad to see folks go, I mean, I guess the one I was most attached to of those who passed was Ian Abercrombie. Uh Because of his other roles that he's been in and him playing Sidious slash Palpatine, it wasn't someone whose work on Star Wars was done. Uh, we were still seeing his work on a regular, heck, we are still seeing his work on a regular basis because of how much of this season was already recorded before he passed away.
1: Yeah, we uh, haven't got to any of another voice, right? I mean, it's still all Ian, right? Uh,
0: there, there's one that I question because there's one line that sticks out like a sore thumb, and I think it was Revival, that makes it sound like they had somebody else do his voice or it was from another recording that wasn't as good a quality of it because it, it's a weird – like it just jumps at you when you watch the episode with a decent sound system. But other than that, no, I mean we're still listening to Abercrombie's performance of Palpatine. I would also, say, I guess Celebration 6, obviously, big thing, good thing. I just wasn't able to be there. Uh, Mark, uh, your impressions of Celebration 6? I mean, I know we went through the news coming from it, but impressions overall?
1: Yeah, it was the same as, as 5 for me. You know, when, when you find yourself on the other side of the the U.S. continent and getting there just costs too much money and then staying and eating and surviving while you're there, let alone all the really cool touristy type things and knickknacks and gifts that you would like to buy that you're never going to be able to afford because it took everything to get there yeah it's one of those things where I would have loved to go but it was just outside my means and you know from being on the other side of the country it's it's bittersweet you know you, you see everybody having a good time and a lot of fun a lot of great coverage coming out of it but You know, when you're not part of the fun, it's easy to kind of go bah humbug and not want to, you know. And so I I think whenever that comes around and that week hits, you know, it's kind of almost a depressing week. And then everybody after that week, they get depressed because now they're feeling what you felt that whole week they were over there enjoying and having so much fun. But I hope someday it'll come over here to the West Coast and I may actually get there. I mean, I've I've never done a really big con. I was going to try to get to Portland's Comic Con and and things just didn't work out there either. I mean, you know, gas prices going up the way they have have really cut into a lot of the things I do. It's either not buy this Star Wars comic or, you know, that book here or, you know, put food on the table or go and, and drive up to see this kind of stuff. And I just I can't afford it, man. As fun as it would be.
0: Yeah, I tell you the Lucas folks are really good at pulling off the really, really big cons. Uh like the whole Hoth level and the Force Unleashed being exclusive. Oh, another zing. Uh, yeah, I've I've done the Dragon Con thing once or twice, but not for the entire weekend. I have been doing Con Carolinas. I think I'm done with the Con Carolinas stuff at this point because of you know, changes in management and just, you know, life kind of moving on. I'm getting married this year right before or right after Con Carolinas uh would have been, so that's where the money is going at the moment for honeymoon type stuff. Um, But it'd be nice if it would wind up being, I mean, I don't even care where it is in the country. Just put it sometime when I'm not in school, where it's not the first or the last weeks when I'm teaching and I could go, you know? It seems odd to make that type of big event not be something during the summer. That's right, Whistler, uh, we are getting very short on time here, so... We should probably wrap this episode up and in doing so wrap up our year in review for 2012 and our uh, listening year and uh, podcasting year for 2012, at least as far as our mainstream episodes go here. Remember, you can find our show online at StarWarsReport.com as well as on our Facebook page, Facebook.com slash SWBeyondFilms. You can also find us on iTunes, Zune, and airing on Middle Earth Network Radio. And if you liked our show, be sure to drop us a review on iTunes or the Zune Marketplace, or just fire off an email to us. You can email us at swbeyondfilms at WarsFanworks.com. You can also be sure to interact with us on Facebook, and you can interact with us on Twitter also at swbeyondfilms. So, once again, for 2012, this has been Nathan Butler.
1: And Mark and Whistler. <laughs>
0: Thank you for listening, and may the Force be with you.
1: And don't quote us the odds. I got nothing. That Nathan won't have anything this time. Or that Star Wars is dead because Disney bought it. (coughs)
0: Except then I started coughing.
1: I don't know.